Hey, everybody. It's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, talking with Greg Sisson at the Greg Sisson Team Remax First Choice Real Estate. Thank you, Reese. Super excited to be on board. I do believe uh, we can bring some information that will serve your audience here, so I'm excited about that. Greg, if folks want to get in touch with you at your office, how can they do that? Really, my cell phone is the best way. It's 843-251-2693. My email is greg at gregsisson.com. That's the website, gregsisson.com. Saturday morning coffee with Reese Boyd. Reese Boyd is on right now. Talk 94.5. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host, local attorney here in town with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. I'm your host for the morning's expedition into the news and hopefully a little broadcast excellence along the way. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in this morning at Saturday Morning Coffee. We invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee and join us as we talk about the news, current events, what's happening in our world, all the things that we think you need to know. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we are all about limited government, lower taxes, and a general rational constitutional approach to governance because that means more freedom for you and me and all of us who are we the people. We have a country to save. And uh, boy, I always say those words when I introduce uh, the show, but it never feels more true uh, than it does right at this moment. We've got a country to, to save. Folks, your country, your freedoms hang in the balance, and uh, you've got to go out, not only just be informed, but you've got to go out and help uh, sound the uh, alarm, Uh, bring folks to the polls, do everything that you can do uh, to, uh, so that the rule of law, that uh, truth, justice, and the American way will not just prevail in November, but uh, continue to prevail. Um, we do definitely, most assuredly, today have a country uh, in need of our assistance, in need of saving. So let's get to it. We invite you to settle back with a cup of your favorite coffee and unfold your newspaper if you still have a paper newspaper. Join us as we get your Saturday morning going. Of course, as always, joined here in the studio by producer extraordinaire, Mr. Glenn Dye. Dr. Dye, how are you? <laughs> Dr. Dye. I'm not a doctor, but I played one on TV. But you did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> exactly. Morning, Reese. How you doing? Ready for a wedding? I'm ready. You know, I am absolutely ready for a wedding. That's yeah. the uh, first order of business was to thank our own Liz Calloway for sitting in for me 
uh, last week. It is so good to be back in the studio with you guys. Good to be back in the studio. And we had fun. I we, know you we, did. We had a little bit more fun than we had we all kinds of at fun. the end of the show. We had all kinds of fun last week, but she did a great job, as yeah. always. And she's, professional. She's the professional in the crowd. And uh, so I appreciate her doing that. And this, of course, is uh, Liz and Javi's big day. They're getting married a little bit later uh, today. Hopefully the weather will hold out. We won't get any rain. What's the weather looking like today, Glenn? Give us well, a little update. We do have a possibility of scattered showers today, 30% chance of rain. Hopefully uh, they should be widespread, not... Um uh, you know, no, no downpours today, but moving in through the afternoon and into tomorrow, we're looking at 70% chance of rain tomorrow with heavy downpours expected. Yeah. So get your uh, get your outside time in today, and we uh, will hope and pray for the best for Liz and Javi uh, for widely scattered showers, if any. Hopefully, nothing that will interfere with the with the uh, with the Lopez Callaway festivities. Well, it's a beachfront wedding. Yeah, beachfront wedding. But I do understand that there are you know provisions made in case of rain. But yeah, we want to be out on the beach. The wedding is uh, beach formal. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you know exactly what? Is that uh, what they said? That's what the invitation says. Beach formal. Okay, well, is that like is that like a tuxedo top with a swim trunks on the bottom? <laughs> um, I, I understood, you know, jacket and tie, um, not casual. Uh, so, so beach ca- beach formal is not casual. I actually brought a shirt with me that you can't wear a tie with. It has no collar. Oh, so okay. well, that way, if I got pulled over on the way home, I just button it and I look like a, a, a pastor. Oh, the, <laughs> there you go. That's one angle. That, that's just one card did, you can play. I never drink and drive. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. So, speaking of drinking and uh, operating the boards, what's the cafe <clears throat> du jour today? I Mr. am. Producer I am still on perfecto. Ah, very good. Very fine ground coffee, a lot of flavor, um, obviously a lot of caffeine. Obviously a lot of caffeine. We need a lot of caffeine this morning. Actually, I'm drinking, uh, I've got a recommendation. Have you heard of uh, Bones Coffee, Mr. Producer? Bones? No, it doesn't sound appealing. (laughs) This is, uh, and actually we have in the, a little later in the show today, uh, we'll get to the, hopefully if you guys don't, uh, if, if we don't get the interrupted, the, the flow interrupted, let's just leave it at that. Uh, we'll uh, try to get to a little trivia contest for our loyal Saturday morning coffee listeners. But I do have a, um, a, a new recommendation for you guys. This, I give credit to this one, to the uh, coffee research team at uh, Saturday Morning Coffee, <laughs> also known uh, lovingly around the home as my wife. <laughs> and uh, she found a, it's perfect for the season, she found a, a new brew. Uh, the the new brew is is Bones Coffee Company. You ever heard of Bones? It's, I haven't, but does it have pumpkin spice in it? It, you know, this one, the one that I'm drinking now is called S'mory Time. S'mory, uh, S'mory, and the the logo is really a hoot. It's got a skeleton on it, and Mr. Producer can see this. A skeleton, oh yeah, a skeleton on it with uh, with a gorilla looking guy. Uh, cooking a s'more over a campfire. So it's a s'morey time from Bones Coffee. We've actually got an extra bag of uh, Bones Coffee s'morey time, which we will give away later in the mm. program. So uh, one of you, one of our lucky uh, listeners, will uh, hopefully get a chance to try s'morey Bones Coffee. Excuse me, Bones Coffee s'morey time. Does it taste like s'mores? It is. It, it's got a little hint of cinnamon. Okay. And a, and it does have a little hint of s'more. Okay. It's got the s'morey taste. Okay. But it is super smooth. I mean, like, you know, I'm a big fan of Dunkin' because right. Dunkin' is a really smooth coffee. America runs on Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. And, uh, but this is 
as smooth a coffee as you will find. And it is uh, it is excellent. And it's got a nice kick to it. So. Hey, Tim, the car detail guy, just text in on the text uh, the PCR computer text line. He said Lavazia Espresso Italiano on this end. And I am drinking the Lavazza Perfecto this morning. So Tim uh, and I are on the same page. Y'all are on the same page. Yeah. If I didn't have a wedding come, uh, Tim, today, I'd come over and help you detail some cars because I'll be jacked up by the time I get through this gallon of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, and also see uh, Will checking in from Coastal Sports. Tim, th- Tim, thanks for that. Uh, and the Climbers checking in this morning. Thanks to all of you guys who are out there tuning in as, uh, as always, listening and, uh, and checking in on the PCRXcomputers.com text line. We invite you guys to uh, join the show as you will. Text us your comments, your questions, your thoughts, your, uh, suge- your, uh, your stupendous uh, superlatives, and also uh, any constructive criticism you want to share. <laughs> Call in line for those of you who want to speak directly to your hosts is uh, 843-903-2945. You can also tweet your comments to the show. Twitter handle for Saturday Morning Coffee is at Reese Boyd. You can email your comments. Many of you have emailed in with questions, comments about the show. ReeseBoydSMC at gmail.com is the email address for the show. That's ReeseBoyd with an SMC for Saturday Morning Coffee at gmail.com. That's the email address. Send me uh, news tips, article tips. Love to get those book recommendations. I get all kind of stuff from you guys. I really appreciate it. Lastly, um, and not least, is uh, the office line for the firm of Davis and Boyd. That's my day job during the week. Many of you have called me there. That number, as always, is 843-839-9800. 843-839-9800. That's the firm of Davis and Boyd Attorneys at Law. When you can reach me during more normal uh, business hours, if that is more to your liking. So, got a great show. Uh, coming up today, a lot to talk about. We live in a crazy, crazy world, folks. It's mm-hmm. getting crazier by the day. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll confess to you that uh, my heart gets a little heavy. And I've been a little, you know, it's hard sometimes to soak in everything that's happening in the world because it literally is coming at us so fast. It wears us out. It wear, it mm-hmm. literally almost wears you out. And it's like one day it's like so-and-so, so-and-so wants to use the 12th Amendment to do this. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the 12th 25th. Amendment, you know, what, what is that? You know, yeah. and, and like Nancy Pelosi wants to use the 25th Amendment. Yeah. She wants to set up a commission. And you're thinking, <clears throat> and it's every single mm-hmm. day. And, and you think, oh, my goodness, these people really want to destroy the country. I mean, they yeah. literally want to destroy the country. Yeah. So it's interesting, but we have to keep pressing forward. Um, ultimately, the answer to all this is uh, the gospel. That's one thing I thought about mm-hmm. this week, and not politics. But we still have to go into the public square and be salt and light. So we're going to talk about being salt and light today and what we need to do and what we what you need to know. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. Mother is your best friend. He's your second cousin. All roads lead to... He's rising sun. Milo is a long, long way from Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. And more coming up next on Talk 94.5.
Hi, everybody. It's attorney Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour here on WTKN. I'm also a practicing attorney with the firm of Davis and Boyd, Attorneys at Law, here in Myrtle Beach. These are certainly trying and uncertain times for individuals, families, and businesses here along the Grand Strand. Please know that our team of professionals at Davis and Boyd stands ready to assist you with all of your personal and business legal needs. So if we can assist you in any way, give us a call at 839-9800. That's Davis and Boyd, Attorneys at Law. Hey everybody, it's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, talking with Greg Sisson. Greg is the principal at the Greg Sisson Team Remax First Choice Real Estate. How long have you been in the real estate business? I started in real estate full-time in 1997, and our company is, is really structured where we can serve the client at a high level, so we've really streamlined it to make it simple and easy for our clients. Our market is red hot kind of the perfect storm for home sellers right now in the Grand Strand. Greg, if folks want to get in touch with you at your office, how can they do that? Really, my cell phone is the best way. It's 843-251-2693. And then our website is gregsisson.com. Check us out there as well. If you are a seller today and you're thinking about it, it, it would make sense to give me a call. Remax First Choice, the Greg Sisson team, real estate experts here in Myrtle Beach, ready to help you with your real estate needs. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5. Milo is your best friend. He's your second cousin. All roads lead to he's the rising sun. Milo is a long, long way from home, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. Little Matt, the electrician, for you. Milo's your best friend. I'd like to be your best friend. You want to be my friend, Glenn? Yeah, you got a boat? Let's be better. Yeah. <laughs> I, need a, I need a boat and some money. I need a boat. I need I need some friends with a boat and uh, lots of money. So if y'all fit the bill, give me a call here at Saturday Morning Coffee. We'll, uh, we'll hang. And never, never, when unless you see the boat, never offer. I'll pay for gas that day because oh, yeah. some of those oh, yeah. boats yeah. take like thousands of dollars worth of fuel. So. Yeah. I had a... A client that bought a boat once, uh, Glenn, and and uh, he was complaining about it because he was, was complaining about it is he could not afford to fill it up. Yeah, yeah. And I um, mean, he told me how much each tank of gas. This was a, a big boat. I yeah. mean, it's a bigger boat than I've ever owned, ever will own. And uh, and I said, you know, it's, it just struck me at the at the moment at the point in time. If you can't afford to fill the thing up with gas, you might not want to own it. Just yeah, just saying. I'm just saying. Just my my boat took 32 gallons of gas, and that was and it was very fuel efficient. So yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't miss it though. Yeah, <laughs> I we, don't miss the the pain of owning a boat. Yeah, we uh, we've got a uh, we've got a little center console, and when it runs, which is not always, it will run all day long on just a little bit of gas. Yeah, you know, yeah. but. Uh, Will, uh, down at Coastal Sports, uh, as I said, checking in, he says, so Liz really did shut it down yesterday. Yes, she did, actually. They were off and uh, getting ready for the big day today. Yeah, because Nick is part of the wedding party. Oh, yeah. His daughter. And and Nicolina's going to be in the Mm -hmm. uh, wedding party, so that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, by the way, Will, I need to come see you. I uh, got a Glock question for you, so we'll uh, hopefully get down to see you soon. I do. Uh, we love the guys down at Coastal Sports. Hope you guys will check them out if you need help with uh, any 
ammo to buy more ammo if he's got it it's kind of hard to come by these days unfortunately but uh when will's got it he'll sell it to you at a fair price and um so and he's also a, a brilliant guy who can tell you a lot about history and guns so good to hear from you this morning will a uh, lot going on folks a lot to talk about um and unfortunately a lot of it's sad um i want to start with uh, uh just opening the show this morning in uh, memory uh, as so much has happened this week here around the community in in uh, memory of uh, Officer uh, Private First Class Jacob Hancher of the Myrtle Beach Police Department, who, as just about everybody knows now, was shot and killed while responding to a domestic dispute Saturday night. That was last Saturday along 14th Avenue uh, South. The uh, There was uh, many events, <clears throat> excuse me, many events this week that... Uh, commemorated the life and the contribution and the public service of um, Officer Hancher. There was a candlelight rosemary vigil, excuse me, candlelight rosary vigil on um, 730, and uh, that was Thursday night at the Catholic Church of St. James where uh, Hancher attended. Um, he served as a missionary while he was in the church there on 2000, in, in 2017. Uh, he went to Honduras and uh, and uh, it was actually during that trip uh, he met his uh, best best friend, Alexander Hernandez. Um, Hernandez commented for, commented for one of the media reports that he loved to try new things and the two would go to concerts together. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there was a great, um, uh, there was a wonderful uh, procession that made its way across the community yesterday from Conway to Myrtle Beach. There was a memorial service. I hope uh, there were so many people who were out there, just a wonderful um, a memorial to uh, just a, a great uh, public servant, um, an example of somebody who is uh, holding that thin blue line, who unfortunately uh, lost his life in the performance of his duties, uh, keeping you safe. Uh, he paid the ultimate price. And I had a privilege, uh, and it was indeed a privilege, to um, meet Officer Hancher through the F3 men's group, the workout uh, group, and uh, for many uh, for some time, uh, we in F3 uh, knew, uh, knew Jacob Hancher as Hightower. Everybody in F3 gets a nickname, and Officer Hancher at, at F3 was uh, Hightower. And he was uh, uh, much loved, and uh, he was he just truly one of those individuals that was a light uh, to everyone around him. And I, I never saw a time when I uh, was never around him when he was uh, down cast or pulling down the crowd. He was always one of the guys in the group uh, that was encouraging others, uh, lifting people up, and always had this just great all shucks, thousand watt smile on his face. And just uh, what a what a what a wonderful young man. And he will uh, definitely, definitely uh, be long remembered and uh, sorely missed by many in this community. So to Officer uh, Hancher's family, we extend our uh, deepest uh, condolences here at Saturday Morning Coffee, and we just hope that you know that there are thousands, uh, the governor, including the governor, was at the uh, service yesterday, but there are thousands uh, who are uh, united in prayer, uh, hoping that this time for you is uh, something that you can uh, find comfort and peace and, and hopefully get, uh, get through, uh, as best you can. And certainly if there's anything that we can do for you here at the show, um, we, we we are here. And so, but we, uh, opened the show this morning in memory of officer Hancher. 
I also, unfortunately, we've been doing too many memorials lately, Glenn. It's um, it's unfortunate, but I also uh, lost another friend um, this week, and I wanted to just say a brief word or two about my dear friend Stovall Witty. Uh, Officer Hancher was uh, shot over the weekend. My dear friend uh, Stovall Witty was, uh, uh, unfortunately, we lost Stovall on Monday, and uh, it is. Uh, uh, Stovall and I had known each other for many years. Many of you probably remember Stovall. He ran for Congress. Uh, he uh, it was ran for Congress from this county when it was the first district. He was in the original race, I think, that sent Tim Scott uh, to Washington as a congressman. Um, uh, when the uh, first district, when, when Orie County was included in the first district before we got uh, the seventh district that is now served by Tom Rice. Uh, but I served, I, I knew, uh, I met uh, Stovall Witte, when he actually worked in Washington, we were both in Washington, and he was a legislative uh, director, I believe, for then Congressman, um, who would he work for? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, Mark, um, who was the governor of South Carolina? Mark, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, anyway, he worked for, um, um, it's early in the morning, folks, I'm drawing, Mark Sanford, goodness gracious, yeah, there you go. brain's not working this morning. Uh, but he was a legislative director for Mark Sanford and, um, and got to know him uh, in D.C. and spent many years uh, on the board of directors of Palmetto Family Council working with Stovall. And this is a piece that uh, Palmetto Family published uh, in memory of Stovall. It's with great sorrow and sense that we um, mourn the loss of fellow board member Stovall Witte. He finished his race on earth and entered into the presence of his Lord and Savior on Monday. For over 10 years, Stovall served on the board of Palmetto Family providing both legal, excuse me, both professional and spiritual guidance and oversight to our ministry. He is survived by his wife and three three grown children. Uh, Stovall graduated from the Citadel in 1972, served in the U.S. Army for the next 24 years, where he was an Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer. He served in the post ranging from company commander to brigade executive officer. He managed the Hellfire Anti-Armor Missile Program for the Army. He retired from the Army in 1997 as a lieutenant colonel. For the next six years, he served in staff positions within the U.S. House of Representatives, including three years as chief of staff for Representative Henry Brown. He also served as board of directors for the Berkeley Berkeley County Chamber of Commerce, the Coastal Carolina Boy Scouts of America Campus Outreach, and, as I mentioned previously, Palmetto Family Council. He was a member of the downtown Charleston Rotary Club. And he and his family attended East Cooper Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant. He was married to his lovely bride, Jan Pitts of Dallas, for 36-plus years. They had three grown children, as I mentioned, uh, Meredith and, uh, and uh, her, their daughter, and Evelyn, and, uh, and also Stovall Witte III, who also is now serving in the U.S. Army. So I also want to recognize Stovall. The term is overused, uh, folks, but as uh, these things go, uh, Stovall was indeed a great American, and he will be deeply, uh, deeply missed uh, by many of us. So I also want to recognize and remember uh, the the many contributions that I saw Stovall Witte make over the course of of the many years that I was privileged uh, to know him and serve with him in uh, different capacities. So, uh, some sad notes, but notes that I wanted to share. Stick with us after a few words from our sponsors. Uh, we'll be back with the rest of the show. More Saturday morning coffee for you. We'll be taking your calls and talking about 
some of the good stuff that you need to know. Stick with us. I'm Reese Boyd. I'm here with Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Full hours on Talk 94.5. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Beat it up and knock speed. Grunt, no strength. The ladder starts to clatter with fear. Fight down high. Wire in a fire. Represented seven games in a government for hire. In a combat site. Met to us and coming in a hurry with the furies breathing down your neck. Team my team reporters battle Trump. Ted and Crop. Look at that. No plane. Fine. Death. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 7.35 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for sharing it with us. October 10, 2020. It's 10-10-2020. Um, so interesting little uh, numeral setup we've got going on the calendar this morning. And it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. So that must mean it's uh, time for another coronavirus update. Haven't done one of those in a couple of weeks. And uh, just to give you guys the latest numbers, this according to worldmeters.info. This is United States case counts, current coronavirus case counts in the United States, 7,894,478. So that's right at 7.9 million uh, confirmed cases here in the United States. The death toll, uh, you've heard many people speaking of um, 210,000 deaths. That's been the most recent number. We're actually now as of, and this is uh, updated October 10, uh, as of 916 Greenwich Mean Time. Current death count is 218,648. So uh, just over, well, uh, nudging the needle right at 220,000. And, uh, but the good news is there are five out of 7.8 million confirmed cases. There are already 5 million, uh, plus, uh, confirmed re- fully recovered cases. And that, uh, a specific number is 5,064,300 who are, uh, fully recovered from, uh, a documented bout with the virus. Interestingly enough, we were thinking about this. Let's, uh, I want to just share some, a few thoughts with y'all. And um, if the number is 218,000, let's assume that number is correct for purposes of our discussion. And uh, out of a population of approximately 330 million people in the United States, we're still talking about a fatality rate of point. 0.6606%. 
So 0.06606%. That means when you factor in all the folks of uh, the population of the United States, your chances of becoming a fatality are slightly greater than one twentieth of one percentage point. So that should put it a little bit in perspective, I think. And uh, also note the following. Of those fatalities, 85% of COVID-19 deaths have a significant comorbidity reported along with them. So those are things that either could have contributed independently or could have been the cause of death. We had a skydiver who died with, uh, in a skydiving accident, and he had COVID, and it was attributed as a COVID death. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of the situations where there's such a high degree of comorbidity. I think the question is, do we really know if Mm-mm. 218,000 people have died? Well, the good news is, on a positive point, yeah. nobody's died of old age since March. That's a good point. <laughs> old age deaths are dropping yeah. Yeah, it's all precipitously. Yeah. So the, the real question, I think, is will we ever really know how many people have passed away from COVID-19? And I think that's a fairly open question. I don't know that we will. I've got a pretty good bet that says we won't. We can we take a stab at it. But we know that politics has entered the discussion since the very beginning. And one of the things that this has taught us is that when you mix politics with medicine, you get politics. You know, uh, the, the climate change debate has taught us that when you mix politics with science, you get politics. Uh, the NFL is teaching us when you mix politics with football, you get politics. Do you guys see a theme emerging? The NBA is teaching us when you mix politics with basketball, you get politics. Suffice it to say, when you mix politics and professional sports, politics is what you get. Politics is kind of like, I call it a crowding out influence. You mix it with just about anything and you get politics. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's why uh, the commissioner of the NFL and, and, and the other uh, sports leagues, they, they don't need to mix politics with what they're doing. When you mix politics with medicine, you get politics. Let the doctors handle the medicine. And as Joe Biden loves to say, listen to the scientist, follow the science. But the problem is when you mix politics with science, you get politics. And just to put the number for COVID in perspective, yeah, this is a significant, an extremely significant event, to put it even uh, mildly to understate it, but place that in a little bit of historic perspective. Go back, a th- you know, go back a thousand years, actually more than a thousand years. Go back, I guess, to the, well, about a thousand years to the 1200s, the bubonic plague, the Black Death. One third, one third, that's one out of every three people in England and in many parts of Europe passed away because of the single plague. And as a matter of fact, there were so many people dying, they stopped burying the dead, which obviously didn't help to dispel the spread of the disease when there were dead bodies laying all over the streets. Now, that, that a, a fatality rate of one in three is, is clearly, a, that is a civilization-changing event. There's no question about it. What has happened here to us in the world and here in the U.S. in 2020 has been a tragedy It has been a great hardship, but it has not been a civilization-changing event, or at least I feel like it should not have been a a civilization-changing event. I feel like there are many among us, frankly, many politicians, who have wanted to make it a life-changing and to some degree a civilization-changing event. But ask yourself, should it have been that? Think about it. Put this in perspective. 
You often hear people talk about the Spanish flu, the 1918 H1N1 epidemic. And that's a flu strain that still circulates around the globe today, but we don't talk about it anymore. In, in 1918, and it wasn't actually from Spain, but what we now attribute as the Spanish flu, H1N1, there were approximately 675,000 people killed out of a U.S. population of 106 million. That's a 0.64%. Really bad, but still less than 1% of the population died. Now, at 0.64%, that is way less by a factor of 10 than what we have currently experienced with the COVID-19 pandemic. Go fast forward to 1957, H2N2. Major outbreak occurred in 1957. This uh, H2N2 variant originated in birds, was first reported in Singapore in 1957, then in Hong Kong later in the year. It appeared in coastal cities in the United States in the summer of 1957. 116,000 passed away in the United States as a result of that uh, pandemic. Again, 116,000 out of a then population of 117, excuse me, 175 million uh, resulted in a, in a fatality rate of about 0.06%. So very similar to what we were having uh, experienced this year with, uh, with COVID-19. In 1968, the same thing. This was H3N2, H3N2 flu. That pandemic was caused by an influenza an influenza virus comprised of a variant of two uh, forms of the avian influenza A virus. And in 1968, uh, the fatality rate as a result of that pandemic in the U.S. was 100,000 out of a then population in 1968 of approximately 200 million. Well, guess what? That's 0.05%, one-twentieth of one percent. And about the same thing we've experienced in 2020. 2009, H1N1. In the spring of 2009, the H1N1 virus was detected in the United States and spread quickly across the country and the world. The outbreak made headlines as the swine flu. There were 60.8 million cases and 12,469 deaths. Um, and as the president uh, has pointed out, if the, if that, uh, if the swine flu was as fa- fatal as um, the current COVID-19, it would have been much worse because there were many more cases. And so, you know, what you find, folks, is that, you know, there are about seven variations of, uh, the, the, of coronavirus, seven different types of coronavirus. We mentioned several of them here. And, and still, after all this, there is no permanent multi-year vaccine for any of them. Every year we have to retake the basic influenza vaccine for those of us who do take it because the virus is always mildly adapting to the world to, to and evolving. And we try to predict what each year's strand or variant of the flu is going to look like, but we don't always get it right. Sometimes the flu vaccine is somewhat effective. Other times, not so much. So, you know, here's the question this is where I'm going. You know, you guys probably know where I'm going, but do we lock down forever? When do we stop locking folks down? When do we just say, this is something that we have to live with and try to get back to normal? Do we lock down until after the November election? That, of course, is the cynical answer. That's what many of us have been looking for. But when do we learn to get on with our lives? You know, the the pandemics that we talked about 
from 1968 and 1957, they are not remembered as civilization, culture-changing, nation-changing events. I didn't even really know about them until this event in 2020. So the question is, why is this? Why are we hiding under a rock now? Why are there many politicians that want us to continue to hide under a rock for the foreseeable future? So we'll talk a little bit more about that after the break. It's a very interesting question. We need to know, and you need to know. And we'll talk a little bit more about it after the break. After these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Where are you now when everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour i am reese boyd your host thanks for sticking with us here on your saturday morning saturday october 10 2020 got a lot to talk about today hope we get to it all we were talking before the break about uh, the current trends with the covid 19 pandemic and again there are a lot of politicians in particular the Andrew Cuomo's of the world, et cetera, et cetera, who seem to just want us to live under a rock uh, for the foreseeable future, at least until November. And the question becomes and has become and has been been this way for a while is when do we just learn to uh, move forward, take one step, put one foot in front of the other and just move forward as challenging as it may be. And and, uh, you know, I noticed this week when uh, the uh, Governor Whitmer of Michigan said that, uh, you know, how awful 2020 has been. Of course, she is recently the victim of an alleged plot uh, to uh, kidnap her from her vacation residence, I believe, on the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. And, of course, um, you won't necessarily hear this in the mainstream media, but just be, be, be aware that the guys that were planning to do that were, in fact, awful uh, they were anarchist. They are not supporters of your president. They are not pro-Trump vigilantes. They probably have much more in common with Antifa uh, and the organization, not the idea, than they do with any group that supports President Trump. But that's another story. But in her press conference, I noticed that one of the things that uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer said about 2020 and the COVID pandemic and all the challenges that we have faced is that COVID has destroyed our economy. No, folks, strike that. COVID has not destroyed our economy. What has destroyed our economy is the inept response of many politicians to the COVID pandemic. The measures that have been taken 
by politicians in response to the pandemic have been much more destructive to the economy, destroyed many more small businesses than the pandemic itself. So don't let politicians tell you that COVID has destroyed the economy. COVID has not destroyed the economy. What has destroyed the economy, by and large, are the, are the massive shutdowns and the massive restrictions on, on economic activity that have been enacted and in many locations are still in full force. And, and again, the question has become, is and remains, when do the lockdowns end? When do we decide that we're just not going to live under a rock? As we were talking before the break, the impact of COVID-19 now closing in on 220,000 deaths in the U.S., as bad as it is, as tragic as it is, is not out of proportion to prior pandemics, pandemics that we've experienced in the 1950s and the 1960s, 1968, 1957. And I wasn't even really that aware of those uh, events until this happened in 2020. And I went back and started studying. And you realize that these events have already happened in our past. They, they're, not, they're not huge mile markers in the cultural uh, lexicon the way, say, 9-11 is or Vietnam, or other events of major national significance. Why is that? Why is it that COVID will be remembered without any doubt as a watershed event for the next 100 years? People will be talking about 2020 and COVID-19 for at least 150 years. That's my off-the-cuff, very precise guesstimate, but take it for what it's worth. Why is that? And, And the question is, think about this. Everybody, not everybody, many politicians want to tell you to go hide under a rock until COVID-19 is completely eviscerated and, and, uh, and gone from the planet. Folks, that will never happen in your lifetime. That will never happen. And as long as we lock down, the minute the numbers bump up, we'll be locked down forever. The numbers are going to fluctuate. They're going to continue to fluctuate forever. As I said, there's seven strands of coronavirus. We don't have a reliable lifetime vaccine for any of them. That includes H1N1, the the leader of the pack, the Spanish flu. We still deal with it every year. And, you know, interestingly enough, in many cases, for many groups, uh, the other thing that we haven't talked about, for the youngest among us, H1N1 is more dangerous than COVID-19. So we're taking kids out of school when the Good old garden variety influenza flu A is more dangerous to kids than COVID-19. The question is really reasonable to ask, what is going on here? And think about this. Speaking of hiding under a rock, if we had all decided to hide under a rock when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor or when the Germans advanced in the Battle of Britain, or when the Germans annexed Poland or, or invaded Poland and annexed Austria, if we had all decided to go hide under a rock, how would that have worked out for us? Would we be having this conversation? Sprechen Sie Deutsch? No, we wouldn't be having this conversation, at least not in English. Anyway, interesting article uh, this week in uh, National... Not, actually, this was a prior week, but we've not shared it with you yet. This was published in National Review. Stats hold a surprise. This is the healthcare column in National Review by Jay Richards, William Briggs, and Douglas Axe. This is from October 4. Um, Stats hold a surprise. Lockdowns may have had little effect on COVID-19 spread. In 1932, Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis famously said the states were laboratories of democracy. Different states can test out different policies, and they can then learn from each other. That proved true in 2020. Governors in different states responded to COVID-19 pandemic at different times and in different ways. Some states, like California, ordered sweeping shutdowns. 
Others, such as Florida, took a more targeted approach. Still others, such as South Dakota, dispensed information but had no lockdowns at all. As a result, we can now compare outcomes in different states to test if if lockdowns really altered the course of the pandemic. And if they did, coronavirus case counts should have clearly dropped whenever and wherever lockdowns took place. The effect should have been obvious, though with a slight time lag, as it takes time for new coronavirus infections to be officially counted. And then he talks about how long it takes for coronavirus uh, infections to show up. And And then he says, to judge from the evidence, the answer is clear. Mandated lockdowns had little effect on the spread of the coronavirus. The charts below show U.S. states in almost every country we consistently in almost every state as in almost excuse me as in almost every country we consistently see a steep climb as the virus spreads followed by a transition to a flatter curve at some point the curve always slopes downward though this wasn't obvious for all states until the summer the lockdowns cannot be the cause of these transitions in the first place the transitions happened even in places without lockdown orders for example, Iowa, Arkansas, and where there were lockdowns, the transitions transitions tended to occur well before the lockdowns could have had any serious impact. He goes on for quite a few pages, but the bottom line is uh, it's a respected study. He's got data and charts from uh, New York, New Jersey, D.C., Massachusetts, uh, Maryland, California, Iowa, Indiana, Connecticut, Arkansas. It's a multi-state study looking at, and you see the same thing. And the fact is, the data does not support the conclusion that the lockdowns had any effect. So, um, just a a lot to think about and consider. How long are we going to continue with these lockdowns? How long should we continue? But uh, stick around. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. It's attorney Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour here on WTKN. I'm also a practicing attorney with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law, here in Myrtle Beach. These are certainly trying and uncertain times for individuals, families, and businesses here along the Grand Strand. Please know that our team of professionals at Davis and Boyd stands ready to assist you with all of your personal and business legal needs. So if we can assist you in any way, give us a call at 839-9800. That's Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to 
Saturday morning coffee, the Respoid Radio Hour. You're into the bonus second cup hour of Saturday morning coffee. Little David Gray for you on your Saturday morning. Hospital food getting you down. It's getting a few of us down. Uh, Andy, Andy, Andy Thompson checking in on the PCRX computer, computers.com text line with a wonderful gif. That's Homer Simpson walking around with a sandwich sign that says the end is near. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I am sure it must be near, Andy. It must be near. Let us pray. <laughs> Calgon, take me away. Uh-huh. Chuck from Merle's Inlet also checking in on the PCRXcomputers.com text line. Chuck says any liberals listening will be upset that we are confusing their message on COVID with facts. That's a Thank you, Chuck. I'll take that as a compliment. COVID is a political blessing for liberals besides being able to blame the president for the virus, which is truly an insane thought, if you just think about that. Uh, COVID is a political blessing for liberals besides being able to blame the president for the virus. The virus can be the vehicle they need to destroy the economy. Ding, ding. Absolutely true. Liberals won the education battle uh, in the last 20 years. That's true. Again, a lot of the things that we're dealing with today simply flow from the fact that we lost the battle uh, in academia, folks. We, we lost it, and we've got to think about how we can win it back, but that ground has been lost. Uh, if it is to be won, we've got to take the ground back. Liberals won the education battle. Uh, Christianity is becoming a negative thing. Again, all true. The economy is all that stands in their way. I may live to see a single-party socialist state where industry, natural resources— are nationalized, and with the exception of the government elite class and select friends, the population will be reduced to a substandard living without opportunity to improve their lot. Whoo, Chuck, preach it, brother, preach it. By the time the average liberal figures this out, it will be over. Man, that is, boy, that, that is the text of the day right there. Chuck in Merle's Inlet, gold star, brother. <laughs> preach it. Bring it. You are avid. I can't tell you how much I like that text. That is straight on. That is straight. That is straight gold, Glenn. Yeah. And you know the funny thing is, guys, it is all true. And and we were talking about this out with some folks and having um, uh, dinner. And I, we were talking about this. I really feel. And we opened the show talking about we have a country to save, as we always do. Mm-hmm. But it is literally. Literally, it could not be more true today than it has ever been in my lifetime. And I really believe, I mean, honestly, I think the White House is incredibly important. I almost think the Senate is more important. But if we lose the White House, if we lose the Senate, I'm going to try to get to a little uh, uh, bit with uh, the Senate race here in South Carolina before the end of the show. If we lose the branches of government, and we're going to talk hopefully a little bit about court packing, but I believe we're going to see Puerto Rico get two senators. We're going to see Washington, D.C. get two senators. We may see uh, California split into multiple Senate delegations. Uh, you're going to see if, the, if, if there's nobody, if there's no check and balance to the Democratic agenda, you're going to see the Supreme Court get packed if they, if they don't get their way. And you're going to see more justices on the Supreme Court. And, and my belief is that the Democrats will then use the next four to eight years to election-proof themselves. They will election-proof themselves, and we will be, if not officially, at least practically speaking, a one-party system. 
And that's the real, when I say we've got a country to save, that's what I mean, folks. And everything hangs in the balance. Everything you can do to get voters out, and not just here in South Carolina, but everywhere you know people, everywhere you know rational people who believe in freedom, individual liberty, liberty, personal responsibility, the rule of law, people who do not want to see the end of the United States as a republic as we have known it, they must go out to the polls in November, and they have to take five of their friends with them. It's, it's a non-negotiable item. It's got to be done. We've got a couple of calls as well. Um, uh, Larry hanging on the line. Larry hang with us. I wanted to share one last piece, and we're running over because this was supposed to be a two-segment item, and we're into our third segment. But we um, wanted to share one other item in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. There are voices, rational voices in the wilderness, folks. And listen, there there will always be rational voices in the wilderness, and, and, and I, I, I pray that, that we won't be all run into the woods, but um, there are rational voices in the wilderness, even now, speaking in, from the medical perspective on the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to bring to your attention the Great Barrington Declaration. Check this out. It's at gbdeclaration.org. Great Barrington, which is, a, I believe, a retreat in Massachusetts. The, the declaration reads as follows, and these are not fruit nut cakes okay these are this is not a nut bar factor 5 situation these are reputable medical professionals who have gathered together at this retreat and issued this proclamation as infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing present covid-19 policies and we recommend now an approach that we will call focused protection Coming from both the left and the right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. The results include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorating mental health. Folks, suicide rates are skyrocketing in this country right now. Absolutely skyrocketing. Depression is skyrocketing in this country. Again, and you can thank all your blue state governors for this, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden. Keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. And these are not fruit nut cakes, folks. I want to remind you, these are some of the the country's leading epidemiologists. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than 1,000-fold higher in the old and the infirmed than in the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other potential harms, including influenza. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity, i.e. the point at which the rate of new infection is stable and that this can be assisted by, but is not dependent upon, a vaccine. Our goal should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. This is a great document. It is absolutely heartwarming. It is eye-opening, and it is refreshing. It is a voice of reason. It is issued, among others, by Dr. Martin Koldorf. He is a professor of medicine at Harvard University. He is a biostatistician. He is an epidemiologist with expertise in detecting and monitoring infectious diseases. Also Also signed off on 
by a lead signatory, Dr. Sinetra Gupta, professor at Oxford University, also an epidemiologist with expertise in immunology. The third doctor is Dr. Jay Budachara, a professor at Stanford University Medical School, a physician, an epidemiologist, a health economist, and a public health policy expert focusing on infectious diseases. Guys, this is the, this is the creme de la creme of the epidemiology profession. Currently, it's available online, and there are many other doctors who are listed. Uh, you can go. You can even sign your name to the petition as of, uh, as of the date I printed this petition copy. It's uh, signed by 6,538 medical and public health scientists. It's signed by 13,891 medical practitioners and 187,000 members of the general public. So more than 200,000 signatures in all. Again, it's the Great Barrington Declaration, and you can read your own copy and sign the petition at gbdeclaration.org. want to go to the phones real quick. I believe Larry's been hanging very patiently. Good morning, Larry. How are you this morning? <clears throat> I'm phenomenal, Reese. Good morning to you all. A uh, couple of things. I, I, I guess people, you know, really zeroed in as I listened to the Vice presidential debate on Vice President Pence said to Kamala Harris that you know that is that you have you have your opinion which is great but let's talk about facts and you know facts are like principles they don't ever change facts are facts so I wanted to share about Stovall work with him for many years uh, and honored to work with him Stovall Witty with him yeah Stovall Witty I, I was uh, originally on the foundation. Uh, and work with him there. And then uh, as a trustee at Coastal for eight years, I worked with him again, uh, you know, through the board. Mm -hmm. Um, Piece of history a lot of people don't realize, all the land between Conway and Myrtle Beach on both sides of 501 belonged to the Burroughs Timber Company. Mm -hmm. And all that property, as you come on the Coastals uh, and Tex, entrance that, that 25 acres was given in the 60s to the university uh so that's a that's a powerful thing yeah and i think I, and I, I think i neglected to mention this larry i intended to but many still all knew many people in the community through his work as the uh chief executive of the coastal education, coastal education foundation. foundation yeah that's yeah. correct and yeah. that's that's one of the things i just wanted to add to because your your thing was stellar i loved it um, the other thing is, uh, Jenny and I endowed the Biddle Center for Teaching and Learning through the foundation, as well as, uh, you know, many Burroughs and Chapin shareholders who have passed away in their estates, they've left stock to Coastal Carolina University, which has become a major, uh, you know, piece of financial uh, uh, dollars that yeah. allow scholarships and grants and all that other stuff and then one last thing i wanted to say it in spanish because it should be said in spanish sure and i'll translate it afterwards felicidades a isabel y javier en su boda hoy so congratulations to javier and isabel which is what her name is in spanish isabel on their wedding today isabel 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 y javier si hombre hombre. isabel y y javier you know you'll get you'll get uh, it a kick out of this, Larry. Thank you, and I know Liz appreciates it. I was thinking just uh, the other day about the day that I was a kid, when I was a kid, and you showed up at my house with a mariachi band. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember it. You remember that? Yeah. No, it was the Spanish tuna. Ah. It was the tuna from Spain. The tuna from Spain. Which, which are the strolling minstrels. Uh, we, I may have shown up with a mariachi band, too, but I know we went to your house with the tuna from yeah. Madrid, who from was Madrid. doing a tour of the East Coast. Well, listen, Larry, I appreciate, I appreciate well, the call. Thanks, thanks we, for all y'all do, and uh, we appreciate you, and have a phenomenal day. You too, my friend. Take care. Folks, that's Larry from Merrill's Inlet calling on the uh, Saturday Morning Coffee program. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more. Don't leave town. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. One, two, Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 8.23 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, October 10, 2020. Had a lot to cover in the program. Don't know we're going to get to everything. Always seems to take longer to drill down into things than I anticipate it's going to take. Uh, thanks for the call, Larry. Larry calling in with some uh, excellent comments just before the break. Uh, Larry and Merle's Inlet. And uh, also, a little after the uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to be hearing from a candidate for South Carolina Senate District 32. That's David Ellison, candidate for uh, South Carolina Senate on the ballot in November. Dave's going to be calling in to share with us a little bit about his campaign, so stick with us. And a little bit after that interview, <clears throat> if you guys want to queue up during the interview on the phone, we'll try to get to you. We may get in a trivia contest. I got that uh, s'morey time coffee from Bones Coffee and a coffee mug a saturday morning coffee coffee mug uh, along with a saturday morning coffee t-shirt so you guys get the chance to win the uh the the magnanimous grand prize grand pa- uh, package uh, this morning here on saturday morning coffee consisting of all three items if you score high enough on our dastardly trivia contest um so uh, we'll that we'll try to get to that after the interview with um with uh, David Ellison, so stick with us. A lot more to talk about. Wanted to share with you guys briefly, of course, much in the news this week about uh, the 25th Amendment. And all of a sudden, you know, once upon a time, uh, Glenn, I always carried a copy of the Constitution because I just wanted to have a Constitution. And occasionally, uh, it's good to remind yourself of some of the things that the Constitution says, the preamble and various other uh, pieces of it, the Bill of Rights in particular. I always encourage you guys to teach your kids the Bill of Rights, <clears throat> not just teach them that there is a Bill of Rights, but teach them exactly what the amendments are. And I always uh, carried a couple of copies of the Constitution uh, with me and, and always prepared to pass those out to folks that are are, are interested in having a copy. By the way, if you don't have a pocket copy of the Constitution and you want to stop by our offices, Davis and Boyd, 
in uh, Myrtle Beach, or right off of Grissom Parkway. We would love to give you a copy, your very own copy. Uh, our books contain the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, so we'd love to share that with you. Just stop by the office and tell us you'd like a copy, and we'll get you one. But there's been a lot of talk this week about the 25th Amendment. The the general desire I have to uh, carry the uh, carry the Constitution with me has become even more pronounced in recent uh, months and in, in recent history because every week it seems like somebody is pulling some crazy constitutional theory out of their hat. This week we heard Nancy Pelosi say that she wanted to form a commission to fulfill the role of Congress under the 25th Amendment. I thought, what is she talking about? A commission? You know? Yeah. I mean, and so I thought, well, let's go back to the, the as you guys often uh, say to me, you appreciate when we explicate the Constitution for you. Let's take a look quickly at the 25th Amendment in Section 1. In case of the removal of the president from office or of his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. Okay, fair enough. Section 2. Whenever there is a vacancy in the office of the vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office upon confirmation by a majority of both Houses of Congress. So Congress has got to vote on it, approve whoever the president wants to select to replace the VP. Again, simple, fair enough. Section 3. Whenever the president transmits to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, and until he transmits to them in a written declaration to the contrary, such powers and duties shall be discharged by the vice president as the acting president. I think we're all familiar with that. Uh, Section four, this is where it gets interesting. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, and that's what Nancy Pelosi is talking about, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and to the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the President is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the Vice President shall immediately assume the powers and duties of office as acting President. Thereafter, when the President transmits to the President pro tempore of the Senate and the House, yada, 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 his written declaration that no inability exists or continues, he shall resume the powers and duties of his office unless, unless... The vice president and a majority of either the principal offices of the executive department, that's the cabinet is how that is interpreted, or such other body, again, as Congress may by law provide, transmit within four days to the president pro temporary of the Senate and the House, back to the Senate and the House, uh, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. Thereupon, Congress shall decide the issue, assembling within 48 hours for that purpose if they are not in session. If they are not in sessions. Bear with me, I lost my place. And the Congress, within 21 days after receipt of the notice, or if Congress is not in session, within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, shall determine by a two-thirds vote of both houses that the president is either unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, in which case the vice president shall continue to discharge the same as acting president. Otherwise, 
the president shall resume the powers and duties of his office. So if the president says, okay, I'm better now, I can come back, and Congress says no, within 21 days there's a vote, and Congress may, by a two-thirds vote, overrule the president and keep him out of office. Boy, that sounds like a fun month, doesn't it? Sounds like a very entertaining month in Washington and for the rest of us. So, you know, it's it's interesting to, to think about what is Pelosi up to. I mean, clearly she is uh, not going to get this. This will never get through the Senate. This would be a horrible idea. And I want you all to think about how the president has responded to this uh COVID episode that he has experienced. He obviously came down with COVID. He spent a couple of days at Walter Reed uh, recovering and now by all accounts appears to be back in the saddle. Uh, Good as new. He said he felt better than he'd felt in 20 years. So, but throughout the process, he has been scrutinized on a microscopic basis by every single Democrat uh, in Washington, including those in Congress. So it's It's a small taste of what we can look forward to if Nancy Pelosi gets her way and and there is a commission. Think about this. This would create a standing commission chartered by Congress to constantly evaluate the ability of the president to discharge the duties of his office. And at any given moment in time, when they decide that the president, medically or otherwise, is not fit to continue to exercise the authority of president of the United States, they submit this, they submit this written notice to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the house. And it sets these things in motion. This is a crazy, this is a certifiably insane idea. Well, you are talking about Nancy Pelosi, just saying. I think we have commissions. I mean, she is a, a sort of, she is a certified communist, by the way, she is a card carrying certified insane communist i mean it is amazing to me that she is speaker of the house which is why i said and i will continue to say we cannot lose the senate folks the senate is the uh, the bulwark that is protecting our freedom so more to come folks stick with us we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more saturday morning coffee and an interview with uh, state senate candidate david ellison for uh, state senate in south carolina stick with us we'll be right back don't leave town like it's someplace that you've been where you've been Text us, 843-798-TALK. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. A little technical misstep there. Few and far between here at Saturday Morning Coffee, but we're uh, we're hanging in there. Well, the song is Need to Breathe, and ah, I was there breathing. You, go. you were breathing. Yes. We need to breathe. Hmm. Thanks uh, for sticking with us here on Saturday Morning Coffee, folks. It is 8.36 a.m. on your Saturday morning, Saturday, October the 10th, 2020. Joined here on the show this morning by hmm. Senate candidate David Ellison. David is a candidate for Senate District uh, 32. That's, uh, I believe, mostly in uh, Georgetown County. David is uh, facing off against the incumbent, Ronnie Saab, in the November election. So, David, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Reese. Thanks for having me this morning. Oh, you're quite Appreciate welcome. 
Thanks for sharing your time with us. Um, and welcome to Saturday Morning Coffee. Why don't you begin, uh, David, by telling folks a little bit about yourself. I know you are a veteran. I think you served in the uh, Air Force, if I'm not correct. That's right. That's right. I joined the, uh, the South Carolina Army Guard back in 1988 when Ronald Reagan was president. And I've served under five presidents. I, uh, I've been in the Air Force and, and then went into the Air Force in 1993 and retired just uh, five years ago in 2015. Uh, as an Air Force officer and enjoyed every minute of it. So I deployed three times and uh, spent 20, 23 years on active duty. Uh, taught me a lot about leadership, taught me a lot about service, taught me a lot about what terrorism looks like. So, But I'm, I'm glad to be with my family here in the low country. Uh, we got here as fast as we could, as, as, the, as the saying is. Wife and four children. Yeah. Yes, I uh, um, I also got back as quick as I could. I well, well, let me start by saying thank you for your service, and uh, we appreciate uh, the the long and, and the many years you uh, you gave in service to your country. So, I salute you for that. Tell me, um, but I also uh, I grew up in the area, and after years in D.C. and Boston, I, I felt the tug of the Low Country and the sand in my shoes. So I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. T- tell us why you're running for the Senate, David. Well, you know, I'm running because I really care about the folks here in uh, Senate District 32. It's, it is in, in largely in uh, Georgetown County, but it's also in Williamsburg County, all of Williamsburg County, a sliver of Florence County, Lake City, goes all the way to Berkeley County, believe it or not, it's St. Stephen, down to Al, in, in, a, in, a, in a bit in, uh, in Horry County. Yeah. So it's five counties. But, but the bottom line is I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I take that oath very seriously. Just because I'm not wearing the uniform anymore doesn't mean I don't want to serve. I continue. I want to serve my community. And the truth of the matter is, and I've been listening to your show and I've been listening to Liz. Congratulations to Liz on her marriage, by the way. But I've been thinking about it, and I've been thinking about it just for some time, for 27 years, basically, that, um, yes, there's foreign enemies out there, China and other actors, terrorism. But there's also domestic enemies. We have domestic enemies in South Carolina, in America, and in many ways, Reese, they're more dangerous than foreign enemies. So I'm serving to push back and push back hard against the assault on the family, against the assault on our education, against the assault on our infrastructure, because my opponent wants to turn South Carolina into a, a, a Venezuela, into a Cuba, into a Mexico, in many ways into a China. He calls himself a progressive, but you know and I know that just means he's a Marxist socialist. Mm-hmm. And his policy, he's a 10-year career politician, he has done absolutely nothing for 32. I mean, you know, he's made an image of God like we all are, so I love him, I respect him. But not all politicians' policies are created equal. His policies have really led us down a road of destruction. I mean, when I go around and talk to the folks, and it's, and it's predominantly African-American. This, you'll make no mistake about it. This is a predominantly African-American um, district. And when I talk to the folks um, in, 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 in rural areas, I ask them right off the bat, have things gotten better or worse? And I've never had one person say, Reese, things have gotten better. They always say it's gotten worse. I said, have your roads gotten better or worse? They say worse. I said, has your education got better or worse? And they say worse. Mm-hmm. And education is so important. I can't, I can't tell you how important I think it is because it drives industry. If we don't solve our education problem in the rural areas especially, we are going to continue to lose jobs. I mean, people are actually leaving parts of Georgetown County and Williamsburg County. They're just leaving. Yeah. They're, just, they're, just, they're just moving to 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 Florida and other places. And let me just give you one stat, one, one quick statistic. Sure. Um, in parts of, of District Senate District 32, <clears throat> only 52%, let's back up one, 52% of males 
do not even graduate high school. 52% that start ninth grade mm. don't graduate high school in parts of, of this rural district. And it, we can't allow that because what happens to those young men? And, 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 why is, and somebody says, why, why, is, why do you focus on education? Because, again, if we don't solve that, big corporations and small, medium-sized um, industry will not come in because the first thing they say is, when I bring a family into Georgetown County, where are they going to send their kids to school? You know, and so that's Absolutely. why I'm for education. I'm for educational freedom. I'm for school choice, yeah. and I'm not for school choice the way the bureaucrats. I'm not for school choice to say they like the bureaucrats say, well, you can move your kid from you know Waccamaw or Georgetown High School to Waccamaw. Well, that's not school choice. That's like moving. That's like moving you know deck furniture on the Titanic. You know, we need to have real school choice where a single mom can take her education savings account. Take her five thousand, six thousand, eight thousand dollars, and by the way, the average cost is fourteen thousand in Georgetown County for one year for one mm-hmm. child. But let her take her money and send her child to a private school if she chooses, sure. to a church school. That's not unconstitutional. Somebody, you know, some people, and you're a lawyer, you know this. Some people in the, in Columbia will say, "Well, we can't. You can't uh, fund religious education. We're not funding it. We're giving that money to the parent, their taxpayer money back, and she or he decides." Where to spend it. Where to send the child. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, I noticed on your website, David, that you made a, a key focus uh, calling uh, for K through 12 educational freedom, which I think is a very interesting and, and thoughtful way to put it. You know, Thomas Sowell has written that charter schools are a, a fundamental aspect of what is the new civil rights issue, which is education. And, yeah. and, and that is the real dividing line. Between it's not really even really a race issue. Of course, Thomas Sowell is, is an African American. One of them, I love him to death. He's brilliant, but it's the dividing line between the people who are participating in the American dream and those who are effectively locked out. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you're yeah. right. Well, it's it, it is a civil rights issue, and I can tell you, we're making headway. We've been campaigning hard for the last several months. You know, and I will say, Reese, the Republican Party bears some responsibility. We haven't sent qualified candidates kind of into the breach. Um, you know, we've got to be willing to, to, you know, to man up, to woman up, to woman up, and go into these communities that have been underserved for so many years. So I'm the first Republican that's ever even run, ever even ran in District 32. Yeah. Well, I, congr- I, was I congratulate well, you, and my hat's off to anybody who will put their name on the ballot. If you are elected, David, tell tell uh, tell the listeners what's the first Two or three things you'll do when you get to the General Assembly. Well, the first, I think great question. First thing I'll do is, is I'll as I'll as I'll remind my Republican colleagues we have held the state house for you know a long, long time, and it, and, I, and and it is important to say it matters more what happens in your house and my house and the average citizen's house than what happens at the White House and even the state house. But still, we, we can make a difference at the state house. I would I would push education reform in terms of educational freedom. To give legitimate freedom, to give, make the money, let the, the education dollar follow the child. The education dollars must follow the child K through twelve. Number one. Then I'd work on our roads. We have some really, we have some really, you know, jacked up roads, especially in rural areas. That are, I call them killer roads. I mean, I've been on these roads for the last two months and three, longer than that. These potholes are basically sinkholes. I mean, people are literally dying and swerving off the road to avoid these things. So I would work on that. Also work on, you know, jobs. You know, go, you know, I think President Trump has got it down to a science. We have to be willing to go out and recruit. Politicians need to go in and talk to industry leaders. Talk about opportunity zones. Opportunity zones are all throughout District 32. They're in Georgetown. 
Mm-hmm. They're in Andrews. They're in King Street. So, but most when I get when I talk to business owners, Reese, most of them don't even know the opportunity program exists out there. Yeah. Well, those are the top two or three things I would yeah. say. And I will tell you this: I make it. We're making inroads because mm-hmm. we were campaigning. We were going door to door, D to D, door to door on yeah. Front Street on the west side of Georgetown, predominantly African American community. And my opponent's campaign manager drives up with his big Ronnie Sabs sign on his car and said, "What are y'all doing? Basically campaigning in Ronnie Sabs area? <laughs> you're, you're wasting your time here. You're wasting your time here." And I and I said, "Sir, think about what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying that a Republican cannot go into a Democrat area, predominantly African American, and campaign. That's a racist, bigoted comment. Yeah. I believe people. I believe people of all skin colors, of all ethnicities, of all background can think for themselves, and they do think for themselves." And, and my prediction is we're going to pick up so many, um, you know, previously uh, Democrat voters who have voted Democrat for generations because they want freedom. They want choice, Reese. They, they want their families to have opportunity. The difference between me and my opponent is, is I believe in individual freedom. I believe that a person can make a decision for their family, um, for school choice, for health care, you name it. My opponent believes that it's the government's job to make decisions for people and to keep them in generational poverty and welfare. That doesn't work for most citizens. They want a job. They want industry. They want freedom. They want a better life. And that's what we're offering. Yep. Well, all I can say to that is amen. And congratulations again, David, for having the courage to put yourself out there and put your name on the ballot. And thank you again for your service. If folks want to get in touch with your campaign to help out, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can go to um, ellisonforstatesenate.com. That's ellisonforstatesenate.com. And let me just say, uh, it's not a, a, one of my, what, what my campaign motto is, and I failed to say this at the beginning, I'm for job, I'm for God, I'm for jobs, and I'm against Democrat mobs because public safety is so important. And we got to back our police officers. And I, don't, I don't think we need to defund our police, and I don't think we need to do all the things that, that the terrorist organizations, and yes, I said it, BLM is a terrorist organization. And Antifa is just is just as bad, if not worse. And we we gotta we gotta be willing to stand up to these bullies. Well, it happened in Charleston. It happened in Charleston you know, on May 30th. If it can happen there, with rioting, looting breaks out, and the and the mayor gives the police a stand down order, it can happen here. We can't allow that race to, to happen here. We gotta stand up, you know, stand up for our police, stand up for our citizens. David, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I agree, and um, and I think you're uh, you're doing the right thing. So good luck to you, and folks, I hope you will check out David El- or Ellison for StateSenate.com. Get in touch with David and help him if you can, folks. It's uh, we've got to go to a hard break, David. But thanks for your time. Thanks for joining the show, and good luck, folks. After thanks. these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Stick with us. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. And more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. On those days when the sky begins to fall, you're the blood of my blood. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. You've done it again. Spent another quality two hours with your humble host here on the Saturday Morning Coffee program. 
Can't believe that our two hours of broadcast time are drawing to a close. It just flies by, Glenn. We need another hour. Yeah, you do. Had a bunch of stuff I wanted to get to. I don't think we're going to get to today. We do have a few callers hanging on. I wanted to touch base, try to get at least one or two of them off uh, off the docket here. Let me see who we've got. Uh, is this Wes? Yes. Wes, how you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing fine. I'm still. I'm doing. Is this Wes, the economist? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, I am privileged to speak to you, Wes. I was uh, thinking about you this week because I read an article you were quoted in, but I, I was, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever, um, if you knew this, but I was actually an economics major uh, in college. I went to Davidson and graduated with, oh, really? a, with a degree in economics. And so it's a fascinating subject for me. And one of my regrets, I, I wish I'd had time and, and, and the energy and to go get a Ph.D. in economics, but I didn't. So one day, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come to see you and you can help line me up somewhere. But I've got a question for you. I mean, really uh, haven't drilled down into it yet. But, you know, there was a debate this week and there was a discussion as to whether or not Joe Biden is going to raise your taxes. Now, Camilla Harris says he's not going to raise taxes for anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year which is a lot of us and and uh vice president pence quoting uh joe biden says joe biden's going to repeal the trump tax cuts and so have you fact checked this where do you fall where where does your uh economical mind take you on that question i didn't fact check the debate actually i didn't sit down and watch it um but i know from my studies in the past the tax cuts speed up so much money not only to the quote-unquote rich the Democrats like to attack, but also for just the middle class. Yeah. Um, countless examples. So to me, getting rid of the Trump, Trump tax cuts absolutely is going to affect anybody making less than $400,000. Or people yeah. making less than $100,000. Yeah. I read somewhere, Will, and again, I haven't, uh, Wes, I hadn't fully you know, researched the whole question, which is why I didn't talk about it today. I'll try to get to it next week, but I've read estimates where the in, the average impact on your typical median family in the U.S., if Biden is elected, the impact of his tax proposals is going to be somewhere between 2000 and 8000 for every family on an annual basis. So to me, that's pretty to, to me, that's pretty staggering. I've seen some of those reports. I think the highest I've seen, though, has been pushing 3000 uh, Of course, I haven't had time. I'm, I'm in the middle of classes right now and teaching basic economics, so my, my time to research went away when summer went away. <clears throat> but I can see that not only you have to look at the taxes themselves, but when you look at the economy and taxes go up, it affects every, everything in our life. Yeah. Oh, everything yeah. you buy, everything that you go out to eat, all these things are going to go up. So, yeah, I can definitely see it impacting hugely on every family. If if Biden and I'm knocking on wood and doing everything, I've got my finger crossed and, and my, my toes are crossed as I ask you this question. But if Biden and and uh, and his running mate are elected and the Democrats take control of the White House and let's assume the worst case scenario, let's say they get the Senate. What do you see economically as the is the as the ramification of all that? You know, like, you know, like nightmares. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, sir. That's what I'm telling you. Um, I really see us seeing the economy grinding to a halt again, like we saw for the last, and I don't want to say even more than the eight years before Trump came in, probably more like 10 or 11 years we saw stagnation and, and then obviously the Great Recession. Yeah. The policies I see coming from the other side of the aisle, as a free market economist, 
they do scare me. Yeah. But I also don't think people realize exactly at this point how much our markets are controlled by the government. Sure. And just ask why he's ever trying to build a house. Yeah. It's it's amazing how much they control. I mean, the government even controls the pressure of the water coming out of your water head, uh, your shower head at this point. Yeah. And so just more of those regulations popped up, um, stacked up, yeah, it's, it's going to cause a, a huge economic slowdown. Well, Wes, I, I appreciate the call and appreciate your insights. You're uh, you're a, a really uh, smart guy, economical genius. And so if we can ever do anything to, to help you at, at Coastal, uh, let us know. We, we support your efforts there. It's nice to know there's a conservative voice in the political economy department there at uh, Coastal. I'm sure you are. You may at times feel like I'm, a, um, I'm actually in Ori Georgetown. Oh, I'm Tech sorry. Department. I'm sorry. Ori Georgetown Tech. But I'm sure at times you yeah. may feel like a voice in the wilderness. But if we can ever, uh, if we can ever do anything to help you, let us know. I appreciate it. Ori Georgetown is a great, a great college. There is actually not as much viewpoints on one side as you would think. It's, it's obviously we're all over the place on our viewpoints, yeah. but not as bad as what you see in some four-year colleges. Yeah. Um, good, uh, place to come, good place to come start your education. Good place to go start your education. Well, that's um, that's good to know, and uh, thanks again for all you do, and keep up uh, the great work at O'Ree Georgetown Tech, and, and and stick with us on the show. We love to hear from you anytime you want to call. We always appreciate your that's input. Good. Yeah, have a good rest of the day, and thanks for the show. Okay, Wes. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Folks, that's uh, Wes, the Eco- Wes the Economist, Wes Clark, one of our loyal listeners here at uh, WTKN and Saturday Morning Coffee. want to leave you guys with a little uh, uh, bit of wisdom. I, I know this is the parting wisdom segment. I had several bits of wisdom uh, to share with you and uh, just wanted to uh, uh, quickly share one thing with you. There's a lot of discussion about, um, you know, uh, one thing I thought about in the debate that we were just talking about is the way the Democrats, the left, want to go to personal issues, personal attacks on the president. So when people ask you why you're voting for Trump and they talk about the president, what, what, how he's not a fit person to be president, say, I'm not voting for him. I'm voting for the First Amendment for freedom of speech. I'm voting for the Second Amendment and the right to defend my life and my family. I'm voting for the Supreme Court and the next justice to protect the Bill of Rights. I'm voting for continued economic growth. And I'm, I'm voting for a lot of things. I'm voting for the Electoral College. I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I'm voting for truth, justice, and the American way. Folks, let me leave you with this bit of wisdom from the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust not in your own understanding, but lean on the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Y'all have a great week. Be blessed, and we'll see you next week for more Saturday Morning Coffee. Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5.